0: Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody feeling this morning? Yes. You're awake, you're alive. Hey, would you do me a favor? Would you give a warm round of applause to everybody who said nope and are joining us online today? Listen, we love you, we're glad that you're here. Thank you for all of our dream teams. Listen, it, you know, when we're a portable church, which is what it's called when we set up in a space that we don't own, it is a Herculean effort on a normal Sunday, but on a Sunday like this, there's a lot of people who got up a little extra early, um, braved the elements before everything was cleared out in order to be able to make all this happen. So for all of our dream teams and all of our volunteers, listen, I love you. I thank you for making this happen. I'm glad and excited to celebrate the beginning of 2022 with you. Man, 2022, how's that feel? I guess after the last couple of years, we would have reason to be a little gun shy, wouldn't we? Well, listen, I hope your Christmas and New Year's is full of memories and rest and all the carbs and uh, maybe a little bit of extra sleep. And I'm glad that you're with us today. As we start the new year, I'm excited to share with you a new uh, series of messages that um, God's really impressed on me. It's a, it's a, it's a concept that I think that um, God wants us to understand. Um, it's a concept that I believe that God wants you to understand in your life personally, I think he wants you to be able to understand how to tap into this concept that we're going to talk about today. I believe it's a concept that God wants our church to understand so that we can tap into it, um, so that we can see more of our city change, so that you can experience more victory in your life. It's, it's a concept that, um, it, 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 it's an idea, it's, it's a force that originates from heaven And it it grows and it builds and it has been building since the beginning of time. And I want to talk to you today and over the next several weeks about this idea of momentum. I going to talk to you about momentum. I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think of momentum. For me, I think of my favorite class in high school. Uh, My favorite class in high school, this will probably tell you a little bit about me. My favorite class in high school was physics. I'm not including basketball practice or lunch or PE. All right? But after those three courses, my favorite class in high school was physics. I had a phenomenal physics teacher that um, you know, he wasn't necessarily obsessed with whether or not you could memorize all of the formulas of physics. He wanted you to be able to understand why things work. And it basically the whole year was just one experiment after another, and it was awesome. He let us cheat on the tests, which was great. I still got to be No, actually, I think I got an A in that class. I really enjoyed that class. But it was in physics that I learned about a a, a fellow by the name of Sir Isaac Newton. And Isaac Newton did a lot of research and study in in the laws of physics. And he studied momentum and gravity and friction. And he published them in his laws of thermodynamics. In his first published work of dynamics, the, the first law of thermodynamics, he talked about the law of inertia. And I can tell right now I'm already losing people. I promise this is not gonna be a science class. I'm going somewhere if you'll stay with me. But he talked about the law of inertia. the law of inertia basically says that objects in motion tend to stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. Objects at rest tend to stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. Basically, it's the idea that if I were to take my water bottle and just chuck it back to Doug all the way in the back, it would just go on forever because of the law of inertia, because momentum would carry it and it would just go on forever. But because of the force of gravity, which is constant, constantly weighs down on things while we're on planet Earth, because of the law of gravity, which kicks in the law of inertia, that my water bottle would be acted upon by the outside force of gravity, and it would basically begin to fall further and further. And so eventually, hit somewhere around about row eight right here on the ion, smacks you right in the face. Because of that, I'm not gonna do that today. But that's basically what, what the laws of thermodynamics is all about. In physics terms, momentum is, uh, it's not really something we talk about momentum. We often talk about it in the idea that momentum is building, momentum is growing. We'll talk about that concept in a minute. In physics, momentum doesn't really go, grow. Momentum just kind of is. In fact, there's a formula that they've come to define momentum and it's, it's basically this formula, P equals MV. And you're like, okay. <laughs> Well, basically it means that momentum is mass, which is everything. Uh, it mass is basically how much stuff there is times velocity, which is how fast it's going. So essentially, momentum is this idea of how much stuff there is and how fast it's going. And it measures what the momentum is. And momentum is an interesting concept because uh, because uh, mass and velocity work together. For example, um, a Mack truck and a roller skate if we were, if I was to ask you which one, as it's moving down the, the, the parking lot, which one has momentum? Well, obviously, the Mack truck has more momentum. However, theoretically, if the roller skate was going fast enough and the roller skate was to get into a head-on collision with the Mack truck, that if it was going fast enough, the roller skates would actually win that collision. That's a weird concept to think about because I just think about rolling over the roller skate in my truck. When I was growing up, I was a sports focused kid and I began to experience momentum, not in the physics term, but in a very different kind of idea. I grew up as a young boy from Arkansas. I grew up in the, in, in the pinnacle, in the heyday of whatever was possible as a young basketball fan in Arkansas. Arkansas Razorbacks were back-to-back Final Four appearances. They won a national championship. I grew up in the peak of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And they showed up on WGN every single night. I mean, I was in heaven. And every time I would watch games, eventually the announcers would say something like, Big Mo has changed jerseys. You guys ever heard that? Big Mo has changed jerseys? No. You can interact a little bit. I'm losing my voice. I'm gonna need some help. All right, I might go through two of these and I might need someone to fill it up for me. We'll see. But here's the deal. In sports, <clears throat> momentum is a difficult thing to explain. It's one of those things that you can't really define it, but you know it when you see it. When I would play basketball, I knew when I was uh, in a, man, Chris, thank you. That's my guy right there. Would you give it up for Chris? I'm going to double fist these dudes here in a minute. Momentum is the thing that you know, you feel it when you're playing the game. As a basketball player, I had some games from time to time where I just felt like I had all the momentum in the world. Didn't matter what I did. There were times I felt like I could throw the ball backwards and it would go in the hoop. I just had all the momentum. Nothing that the other team could do could stop it. The other thing that's crazy about momentum is that it's a force that can be felt from hundreds and thousands of miles away. You know, that seems crazy to me. I don't know that I believe that. Okay, well, let me prove it to you. Let's go back a couple of years when the Chiefs were playing the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Halfway through the fourth quarter, we were losing. Bad. And then somewhere, we didn't find out about this till later, Mahomes goes on the sideline and his Kermit the Frog boy's like, hey, we got time to run Wasp. That's the best I can do with that. They run this wasp play. We never even knew what it was, but everybody knows what it is now. Tyreek goes down the middle of the field. Mahomes launches it over. He catches a big game and immediately, boom, the room that I was in, everybody jumped out of their seat, screaming and yelling and chest bumping and high fiving. How was that possible? It was momentum. It was something that was felt on the field. It was something that was felt in the living room that I was in. It, it, it's a it's it's a real force that exists. That that is really this interesting combination of belief and confidence. That ultimately momentum, when it comes together in the, in the sports world, it's it's the combination of a belief that we can win and a confidence that we will win. You see, up until that play, none of the people that I was watching the game with felt like we were going to win that game. But after that play happened, then it was just the dominoes began to fall and it was just a matter of time until the 49ers went down and celebrated in the end zone and then the death bell tolled. It was over and we won. And what's true about momentum in the physics world and the science world, what's true about momentum in the sports world, I believe that there are some truths about momentum that carries over into the spiritual world when we talk about our souls. And so I want to talk to you today, I'm going to bring a message to you today, if I can make it through it, called Kingdom Momentum. And through this series, I'm going to be teaching you about the momentum of the kingdom of God and how the momentum of the kingdom of God is the force that drives the movement of God in our lives today. See, I don't, if you don't understand this idea of kingdom momentum, then it would be easy at times to begin to feel a little discouraged or downtrodden or depressed in your spirit. When you go through situations where it just seems like the bottom just keeps falling out. It seems like like the roof just keeps collapsing and everything around you begins to fall apart. See, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what 2021 had in store for you, and I certainly don't know what 2022 has in store for you, but if you don't understand kingdom momentum, then you will come to these gravity force moments where gravity works in opposition, the same way it works in opposition to my water bottles, it's flying back towards the back, that these gravity force moments are going to come in opposition to your life, and everything is just going to seem like it's going to fall apart, and if you don't understand kingdom momentum, then it will lead you to ask questions like, God, do you even care? God, do you see me? And if in those moments you don't believe that God cares or you don't believe that God sees you, then it'll cause you to ask questions, God, are you even real? God, the only way that this could be happening in my life is if you're not as good as I thought you were. The only way this could be happening in my life is if, if you're not as powerful as you said you were. In reality... God's hope for us is that we would understand how kingdom momentum works and that every time we begin to experience the force of gravity in our lives and our story as it unfolds, God wants us to be able to get to the point where we can begin to look up beyond the situation and begin to see where the kingdom momentum is. I have two goals for you today. Three, really. The first is to make it. The other two is I want to help you see the momentum of heaven that's been growing from the earliest moments of creation through the end of time. And the second goal that I have is that despite the conditions that we're living in, the King of heaven is alive and he is on the move and he has great momentum on his side. In order to help you understand that today, what I want to do is I want to kind of Skirt over the Bible at kind of a thirty thousand foot view and and zoom in on a couple specific places so that you can see how the kingdom momentum has been building and growing from the beginning of time. If you open to Genesis chapter one and you can, we're going to be all over the place today, so have fun keeping up. But in Genesis one, we see the story of the creation account where God creates the heavens and the earth. At the end of Genesis chapter one, we see God create the pinnacle of creation, which is us. He says this in Genesis 1, Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see, in this moment, God creates humanity and he gives them responsibility, gives them a job. And then two verses later in verse 28, he says, then God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, <clears throat> and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, God has given him responsibility to take charge over what's going on on the earth and to reproduce God's DNA, reproduce God's, God's image all throughout the earth. That's the charge. That's the responsibility he gives to Adam and Eve in creation. All is going well until we get to Genesis chapter three. In Genesis chapter three, Satan shows up in the form of a certain, he tempts Adam and Eve and they sin against God. It was a moment for God as a father. If you're a parent, it's the moment when you know that your kid has a decision to make and you can clearly see there's a right decision and a wrong decision and they choose the wrong decision. It's not a feeling of anger. It's not really even a feeling of disappointment. It's a feeling of brokenheartedness. And despite all of your best efforts and everything you've done to set your kids up for success, <clears throat> they've still chosen the wrong thing. And that's what God feels in this moment. God responds by issuing a condemnation or a judgment on the serpent, on Adam, and on Eve. And ultimately, this becomes the first oh no moment of the Bible. It's the first oh my gosh There's no way that God can overcome this. God had a plan clearly, and now it's been upset. There's been a gravity force moment that has happened that is acting upon the movement of God, the kingdom of God, and it is gonna derail what God is doing. But God had a plan. And in God's response, what he does is he basically evicts Adam and Eve and he removes them from the garden. And then when he talks to the serpent, he says this, because, because God in this verse, he, he, he buries a little promise in this verse, Genesis 3.15. And he says, and I will put enmity between you. He's talking to the serpent. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now you can't see it in the way that it's written on the screen, but in the, in the Bible, the word seed there, When it says your seed and her seed, her seed is the capital S. It's referring not to a generic person, but a specific person. It says, he shall bruise your heel. I'm sorry, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And scholars refer to this as the first messianic promise, the first promise in the Bible that Jesus would come and he would ultimately win the day. And this promise, this messianic prophecy that God makes, it it enables us to then begin to view this a little bit differently. The promise here is that, yeah, okay, Satan, the time is gonna come where my son is gonna come and you're gonna bruise his heel in reference to the crucifixion. But what you need to understand is that he's gonna bruise your head in reference to the resurrection. And when we understand this promise, we understand this prophecy, it causes us to go back and, and look at what God says to Adam and Eve when he evicts them from the garden of Eden, from this place of perfection and paradise. It causes us to look at it a little bit different. Genesis three twenty four says this. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim, which are angels, at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. You see, there was... Two trees in the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which Adam and Eve ate of, God told them not to. And then there's the tree of life and the tree of life, if they were to eat of the tree of life, it would have forever locked them in a state of imperfection, in a state of separation from God. And so what looks like punishment from God to move Adam and Eve and evict them from the Garden of Eden and stand the angel to guard the gate that leads back into the Garden of Eden is not punishment at all, it's protection. Because God... God now has to put some things in motion, some things that have actually already been in motion. We're just now finding out about them in the story where God can rescue humanity. We get to Genesis chapter 12 and we see that God finds a man named Abram whose name is later changed to Abraham. And he makes this incredible promise, Genesis 12 verse one. He says, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth should be blessed. Scholars refer to this as the Abrahamic covenant. It's a a covenant that God makes with somebody is basically a promise where God says, I'm gonna do something. All you have to do is obey. You don't have to do anything else. Just obey what I've told you to do and if you do that, then I will deliver my promise. And God's making a profound promise that God's going to protect Abraham and his family, he's going to make him a great nation. And that ultimately, through Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And all that's required is the obedience of Abraham. And in verse 4, it says that he departed from there and went where the Lord told him. Obedience activated this promise. From Genesis 12 to the rest of the Old Testament, we see the unfolding story of God's plan and the momentum it has and how it comes against this kingdom momentum comes against one gravity force moment after another. If you're familiar with the story of scripture, then perhaps you're familiar when the children of Israel become slave in Egypt. Oh no. How can the movement of God continue when the people of God are slaves in Egypt? But God provides a way. Another oh no moment is when Israel leaves Egypt after 400 years, after the 10 plagues, after Moses leads them out of there and he leads them in the direction towards the promised land and they come to a Red Sea, an insurmountable obstacle. And Pharaoh changes his mind and he chases them with with all of his chariots. And Israel is stuck between an obstacle they can't overcome and an enemy that they can't defeat. Oh no. How can the kingdom of God, the momentum of God continue to move in this moment? But God makes a way and he parts the Red Sea. And God goes silent at the end of the Old Testament because Israel has continually chosen to worship other gods and God continued to make promises to them through judges and prophets. Don't do this. Don't turn away from me. If you do, it's not gonna work out well for you. But again and again and again, that's exactly what Israel does. And at the end of the Old Testament, from the end of the book of Malachi, to the beginning of the story of the New Testament is 400 years of silence. Oh no. How can the, the momentum of the kingdom of God continue when nobody on earth seems to care about God at all? Instead, they just want to worship and serve their own gods and do their own thing. But God makes a way. After 400 years, the silence of God is broken when he sends an angel to go talk to a young teenage virgin named Mary and says, you're going to conceive, you're going to have a child and this child is going to be Emmanuel, is going to be God with us and Jesus is born and he lives and he begins to perform miracles and, and he begins to teach about the kingdom of God and he he begins to make these incredible declarations, these bold statements that ultimately are deemed by many of the religious people of his day as blasphemous. He says things like this in Matthew 16, verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What a bold claim. This poor, homeless, Jewish carpenter is making claim that he's gonna start a movement that nobody will be able to oppose, not even the gates of hell. How is it possible that Jesus can make such a claim? Jesus can make such a claim because he was God. In the same way that Abraham had to do some things in response to the revelation that God had established, Jesus has to do some things in response to the plan that God has. And we learn about it in Philippians chapter 2, verse eight, when he says, and being found in appearance of a man, Referring to Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, this is what Jesus had to do. And because Jesus was obedient, in the same way that Abraham was obedient, Jesus was able to put in motion a promise that is connected to the kingdom of God, the momentum of the kingdom of God that God had established. And because Jesus was obedient, He was able to activate a force that was so great that it continues even today. And each of the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the death of Jesus. And in these moments, the moments of Jesus's death, perhaps the greatest oh no moment of all, the greatest Gravity, forced moment, the promised redeemer, the Messiah, the savior, the king of the Jews is murdered. Oh no. How can the kingdom of God continue? You see, when we go back to the promise that God made in Genesis 3.15, he said, I'm gonna put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed, and Satan, you're gonna bruise his heel. Can I just pause and stop here just for a moment because I believe that there are some people that have experienced some painful things in your story and in your life. I believe there's some people watching online right now that have gone through some dark days, and in those dark days and in those dark moments, you begin to question the goodness of God. You see, somewhere along the way, In American Christianity, we've come to believe if we follow Jesus, that everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. See, Jesus as God had to go through the crucifixion. And I just want to encourage somebody today that if the Son of God had to endure being beaten and bruised and flogged, whipped with a cat of nine tails, having his beard tore out, Scripture says that he was beaten so badly that he was beyond recognition as even being human. If the Son of God is going to have to go through dark days, so will you. And I don't want to make light of your dark days. I don't want to make light of your addiction or the brokenness in a relationship. I don't want to make light of the things that you're going through. I don't want to do that. but I love you. And I I just, you need to know the goodness of God is not measured by the absence of pain. The goodness of God is measured by the hope that we can have in the midst of the pain. You see, God made a promise to Satan, yep, you're gonna bruise his heel. Enjoy that because he's gonna deal a fatal blow to your head. Friday, Saturday, silence, darkness, misery, hope felt lost satan had bruised his heel but on the third day the stone rolled away and jesus got up and walked out proving that he was not just a man that he was fully god and fully man and because of what he did on the cross and what he did in the resurrection Another author by the name of Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit would talk about the hope that we can have. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, So when this in, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, he's talking about when we as physical people take on the salvation of Jesus, we, our corruptible bodies put on something that is incorruptible. And this mortal has put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death, the sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the victory that Jesus brings to all people. And the promise that God made to Abraham in that covenant that was activated by Abraham's obedience was fulfilled in Jesus who comes from the family tree of Abraham. And this promise of victory is made accessible to all the people in the world by placing their faith in Jesus. After the resurrection, Jesus spends 40 days with his disciples appearing to different people and he ascends into heaven. And the rest of the story tells us about how almost every single one of his followers were either arrested or murdered or exiled another gravity force moment in the story the unfolding story of the kingdom of god all of the people who were left have been arrested murdered or exiled who's going to carry on the message You see, kings and kingdoms have come and gone and, and different kings and kingdoms have hated God. They've hated the move of God. They've hated Jesus. They've hated the word of God. And there have been attempts made ever since Jesus was on the earth to eradicate and eliminate Jesus. Yet somehow, way, the movement of God continues and it grows. And what those kings and what those dictators did not understand is that the blood of these martyrs was the seeds of the church that would carry on and expand. And you and I are ultimately byproducts of the movement of Jesus that jumped across the Mediterranean, jumped across the Atlantic and came into the United States so that we can hear the story of a man who died for our sins so that we could experience life that we've never imagined. This is the kingdom momentum that has been building from the beginning of creation. And it continues to build and grow around us today. And for you, listen, I know that there are times in your story where things are dark, discouraging. But hear me if you don't understand this concept of kingdom momentum, and all you'll only ever see is, is what there is to see. And you'll never see all that can be seen by the force of God coming from heaven as momentum building to grow his kingdom by reaching people who are lost and sick and desperately need of hope. Kingdom momentum doesn't have to be fabricated or manufactured, it's already happening. You just need to learn how to tap into it. And that's what I wanna help you do. When we study Abraham, when we study Jesus, we began to see that there's an equation that goes into this, that it's not just in, in physics where momentum is mass times velocity. Kingdom momentum is ultimately defined by this equation. Kingdom momentum is faith in God's will multiplied by your obedience. That's how you tap into kingdom momentum. You say, what does that mean? Well, it's obedience that activated activated the covenant of Abraham. And it was Jesus's obedience that activated the unstoppable force of his church. And it's obedience to God's word, obedience to God's will, obedience to God's ways that will activate kingdom momentum in your life to spur you and lead you to greater victory. Doesn't mean you won't have hardship, you will. But you'll experience kingdom momentum in your life despite the hardships. Perhaps the best part is is that that's not all of the good news. The good good news keeps getting better. You see, in science, momentum is referred to as something called a vector quantity. And I'm not going to try to explain all of that to you, but as best I can understand in layman's terms, a vector quantity means that it's something that cannot just exist in and of itself. It has to be going somewhere. You see, you can't talk about momentum, how much of something there is and how fast it's going, unless you're also talking about where it's headed. Every object that has momentum is going somewhere. It's moving in a direction. If it's not moving in a direction, then it has no momentum. And what I'm here to tell you today is that there is this incredible hope and encouragement that kingdom momentum is also going somewhere. That it's, it's leading to a particular place. And that kingdom momentum isn't just a thing that exists. It's a thing that is headed somewhere. And you can say, all right, preacher man, okay. I've stayed with you, we talked science and you've talked the Bible and I'm still trying to figure out how any of this connects in my life. How does kingdom momentum grow and and where is it headed? And how does any of it affect me and my life and my story? I'm glad you asked. Because ultimately this is the most important, encouraging point of the day. Because we know what the end of the story says. If you don't know what the end of the story says, you get to the book of Revelation. There's a bunch of crazy, awesome things in Revelation. A bunch of things we don't understand. A bunch of things that we can't understand. But I want to help you see where kingdom momentum is heading. You see, Revelation 19 verse 11 says this. This is John who was exiled. He was a follower of Jesus. He was exiled after being boiled in a cauldron of oil. It didn't kill him. And so they exiled him to an island called Patmos. While he was there, God gave him the book of Revelation that he wrote. He says this towards the end of it. He said, now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. If you don't know, he's referring to Jesus when Jesus comes back. That's, that's, that's what he's describing. That's what he's seeing. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no, one except, that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean followed him on white horses. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is describing the moment that Jesus comes back and says, I've had enough. I've had enough of the evil and the wickedness. You see, in in, in the place that we're in today, it's easy to look around and see righteousness being ridiculed and wickedness winning. But rest assured, there is a day coming when Jesus is gonna say, that's it, that's enough. He's gonna come back and he's gonna judge wickedness and he's gonna bless and reward righteousness. And after all of this unfolds, what we're gonna find is, is that after the final battle between jesus and his angels and the armies of heaven and the devil and, the, and and his demonic forces it's going to be very anticlimactic jesus is going to dominate he's going to win he's going to he's going to obliterate more than alabama and georgia beat michigan and cincinnati It's not, people aren't even gonna wanna get popcorn. It's gonna be over, boom, like that. And Jesus is gonna bring in a new heaven and a new earth and it's gonna replace everything that we know about the current heaven and the current earth. And it's gonna be very familiar to the current earth and the current heaven that we're aware of. But the difference is it's gonna be perfect. There's gonna be no sin, there's gonna be no disease, there's gonna be no illness, there's gonna be no brokenness, there's gonna be no tears, there's gonna be no sorrow, no sadness. And Jesus is gonna rule and reign from that place of the new heaven and new earth. And what we find in the new heaven and new earth, this is so fascinating, Revelation 22, verse two, it says, and in the midst, he's talking about what's one of the things he sees in the new heaven and new earth. And he says, in the middle of the street and on the other side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits and each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You see, when it's all said and done with, Revelation will end where Genesis began with humanity and paradise with their God. The tree of life will be there so that everybody who placed their faith in Jesus, there's a whole lot of doctrine and theology I don't have to unpack into all of this, but all of those who at that point have trusted in Jesus will eat of the fruit of the tree of the life and they will be forever locked in a state of perfection, able to be in unity and harmony in a relationship with God. And the book ends where it began. And what we see is that there was no oh no moment. There was no gravity force moment. There was no work of opposition that overcame, derailed, sidetracked or discarded the movement of God. And everything that God intended to do, he has done, he will do and it will be done according to what his desire is. Say, hey, preacher man, uh, uh, help me make the connection. Where's it going? You see, I told you that the kingdom momentum was heading somewhere. Let me tell you where kingdom momentum is headed. Kingdom momentum is headed towards victory. And the victory that we read about in Revelation. is not something that is withheld only for just a few. Victory is available to anyone who would trust in Jesus for salvation. And for those who have trusted in Jesus for salvation, victory is accessible in the daily lives of anyone who would obediently follow him. No matter your situation, no matter your your circumstance, victory is accessible to you when you will obey Jesus And the victory that Jesus secured on the cross is that salvation isn't just, salvation isn't the finish line. Salvation isn't just about being able to know that you can go to heaven. That the salvation that we have in Jesus is ultimately that the truths of heaven, the victory that will happen in heaven, can be made accessible and and, and applicable in our lives on a daily basis. You'll still go through hardships but those hardships will not have the final word because death did not have the final word on Jesus. No opposition or difficulty that you face has to have the final word in your story. When you tap into kingdom momentum, how do we do this? How do we tap into kingdom momentum? Well, what have we learned? We learned that from Abraham for Abraham, faith and obedience were the key that unlocked the promises and allowed him to tap into the kingdom momentum for himself and for his family. For Jesus, it was obedience that was the key that unlocked God's promise of salvation for all people and unlocked the unstoppable momentum of the unstoppable kingdom momentum of his church. And for you and for me today, faith in Jesus and obedience to Jesus are the key to tapping into this kingdom momentum in our lives and in this church. And the victory in our lives looks like victory over sin, victory over the, over the devastating implications of, of the things of our life, victory over hardship, victory over abuse, victory over relationships that are broken, victory over addiction. And for our church, victory means reaching more people. Currently don't know about the transforming love and grace of Jesus. It's your faith and it's your obedience that will activate the kingdom momentum in your life and will help you overcome those, oh no, gravity force moments in your life. I want to close by giving you a couple questions to think about as you leave today. If faith in Jesus and obedience to Jesus is what unlocks this kingdom momentum, then I think we have some questions to answer. The first is this, what has God's word revealed about his will in your life? As we start the new year, as we think about resolutions, making changes. We oftentimes do so by looking in the proverbial mirror and evaluating our lives and our finances, our faith, our relationship status, our fitness. But I would like to invite you today to consider that all of the resolutions that you can ever make Based on your own wisdom and your own effort and your own strength, they may profit you some. But ultimately, the, the growth that God wants to bring into your life won't be activated just because you made a resolution to lose a few pounds and read a couple books. the growth that God wants to bring in your life, the kind of growth that will lead you to a place of experiencing more victory. That kind of growth only happens when you look into the mirror of God's word. and You ask God through the Holy Spirit, would you show me what in my life is out of sync with your word? There's some of us that we don't even need to have to spend much time asking the question because you know that that addiction is out of sync and out of alignment with their word, with his word. You know the extra friendly relationship you have with an employee at work. You can find all the excuses for what you want, but you know deep down inside, it's not in alignment with God's word. What is God's word revealed about his will? And the second question I want you to ask and consider is this. What is the spirit of God revealed to you? Maybe today, maybe as you've thought about some things that you need to start, stop, or continue. You see, when you handle these spiritual things first, And God will bring the other things and they'll just kind of fall in line like dominoes falling into their proper place. The whole world is talking about how to self-improvement, self-growth, self-empowerment. But those who are filled with the Spirit of God by faith in Jesus are the ones who are most positioned to see radical growth in their life because the Spirit of God will teach you and lead you how to tap into this kingdom momentum. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to make this as practical as I know how because I want you to experience victory. I thought about making the message of this series and the launching point of our 2022 with the idea of victory and As I began to dive into it, God just began to tell me victory is great and it's available. But if people don't know how to experience victory, it doesn't matter. You need to help them understand the momentum that I've been building since the beginning of time. You see, here's the difference. Most of us want to think about work. Work, work. The American dream is a byproduct of work. If you work hard, if you do the right things, if you make the right decisions, if you, you climb the ladder and you can get the house and the picket fence and the, and the dog and the 2.5 kids and, and work, 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 work. And you might be able to accomplish the American dream by the work of your hands and by the effort of your self-will and self-determination, but that's not what I'm talking about. You can only experience kingdom growth in your life, not by grabbing the oar of the boat and wearing yourself out, rowing and rowing and rowing against the tides of life. You will only experience kingdom momentum when you realize that Jesus died and rose from the grave so that you don't have to do the work. All you have to do is hoist the sails. And the spirit of God will blow the boat of your life to the places God wants you to be. Experience the victory that he died for you to have. So don't get it twisted today. I'm not talking about you working. talking about you believing and having confidence in the momentum of God and trusting Him and His will and His ways and obeying what He's led you to believe so that you can tap into that momentum. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word faith to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word faith to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.